0: tree age kids are below we'd love for them to be a part of our vine kids time out these side doors if you have a middle school age kiddo fifth sixth seventh age just in that window somewhere right out back we in the kind of four-year here we have an opportunity for those folks as well uh, those youngsters Again, we're glad you're here. If you're here for the first time, we want to tell you what a privilege it is to have you with us. Welcome to the Vine Community Church. Uh, We are honored that you would give us part of your Sunday morning. You're actually joining us in a really great time. I I kind of say that every week, but I really have loved our movement through the Gospel of John. So it's been quite a while, 68 weeks. We've taken breaks here and there. We're pushing on, coming up on, oh, a year, and a full year and a half, or something that we've kind of been walking through this, verse by verse word by word, letter by letter, kind of movement by movement through that gospel. And it's it's incredible, right? Because it's a gospel that's unlike the others, right? John's goal is that you would know jesus that you would see him as god's son that you would know the deity of christ john is not interested in historicity of jesus life he's not trying to tell us a chronological movement from birth to death of jesus john wants you to know that jesus is in fact god so his entire goal with the gospel is simply that you would see jesus which of course should be every teacher or preacher's goal ever is just that you would see jesus it's such an incredible book because it's a movement of the deity of christ And we have made it through Jesus' first kind of uh, breaking in as light into the darkness in this world all the way to the last moments where he stands just mere minutes before this mob comes across the Kidron Valley, seizes him, and takes him to Caiaphas' house where he's going to stand a sham of a trial and end up being crucified and then ultimately raised from the dead. We are on the brink of that. We have spent quite a bit, almost the entire summer, and the last few hours of Jesus' life. John devotes so much of that book to that last night from the moment he washes the disciples' feet all the way up until the point where we are today. We spent almost the entire summer in that kind of three or so hour span, if you will, or maybe more than that. And we've come to a place Where Jesus has finished this sort of lengthy discourse that we call the farewell discourse. It's that 14, 15, 16, those chapters in John where Jesus just sort of talks and teaches the disciples and he's doing it in plain language and they they look at him and they're like, we finally get it. You're not talking in parable or metaphor like this makes sense and they really truly believe and we have this sort of incredible moment at the end of that and then chapter 17 starts and Carson led us into it and and then Brandon kind of led us into another section where he prays for the disciples where Jesus has this sort of... Sort of uninterrupted prayer, the entire chapter, chapter 17, where he prays specifically for himself because he knows what waits for him, where he prays for his disciples because he knows what waits for them, and then as we're going to see this morning, he prays specifically for you and he prays specifically for me and for all those who will one day surrender their life to him. It's actually a really incredible text. Jesus transitions from praying just for the disciples to all those who would put their faith and trust in him, which means in this incredible text that the truth is Jesus is praying for you. Now, I'm not saying that tongue-in-cheek. It literally will tell us that he's praying for all those who would one day put their faith in the gospel message that the disciples took out in the world. That, if you are sitting here as a follower of Christ, is you. And this moment in time, on that last few breaths of Jesus' sort of time with the disciples before he is arrested, he is going to pray for you. and He's going to pray something incredible. It's just remarkable. And so we're going to look. I tried to get through as many as I could, but we're going to get through three verses today because that's just sort of the way that works with me. Brandon got through like half the chapter last week, and I make it through three. So, um... We're going to look at John 17 and the end of that chapter as Jesus kind of begins this teaching or begins this last part of his prayer, praying for all those who would future kind of put their hope in him. So if you've got your Bible, why don't you open up to John chapter 17. We're going to be in 20 through 23, just those verses, those three or four verses this morning as we explore this prayer, what Jesus prayed, what that means for us, right, and uh, how we should live or be different as a church in the light of that so if you got your bible open it up let's take a moment let's pray let's ask god to reveal truth to us to teach us because we need him to do that lord we thank you for this morning uh god i thank you that you are a god as we're going to see today in scripture that unifies you are a god who brings us from all walks of life into a single relationship with you From different socioeconomic backgrounds or racial backgrounds or historical backgrounds or just places, you draw people into your presence and you unify the ununifiable. And so this morning, Lord, we are gathered in here. Some of us feel known, some of us feel like we've been here for the first time, but we are united under this banner of Jesus, under the gospel. And you are actually going to pray that for us. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that we would live into that well. Take a moment in your own heart and just ask the Lord to teach you something this morning. Whatever that may mean, whatever you need, whatever he wants to whisper to your heart, just ask the Lord to to teach your heart. Take a moment, pray for someone beside you or in front of you, behind you. We do this every week. We want to be a church that's in the habit of praying for other people. Everything that unfolds here on Sunday morning is not about you. It's not about your entertainment or whether or not you leave saying, man, that was great. We want to be a church that prays for other people, that God would move in them. So pray for somebody, even if you don't know them. Maybe it's your wife or your husband or your kids or or whatever, but if if it's just somebody, just pray for them. Pray that God would move in them this morning. Lord, we are so grateful that you have given us your word and that your word is an encounter with you. We believe very strongly that, uh, God, this is truth. This is not some subjective guidebook for our life that we get to pick and choose what we want to from it. This is your love, your life poured out for us. It is God-breathed. As you say, it is the Theopunestos. It is the breath of God. And so, Lord, we pray that we would take our encounter with Scripture um, seriously this morning and that you would teach us and instruct us and that we would live into the prayer that you yourself give for the church and for us as followers of christ we ask this in the risen name of jesus our savior and our redeemer amen so there's this entire chapter and it records jesus lengthy prayer we're coming on the heels of the farewell discourse where jesus does this extended teaching and then he moves into this prayer in the first section that we looked at jesus prays for himself he uh, prays that the world would know the Father through him, that they, he would glorify the Father. And then we worked into the section where he prays for the disciples, specifically for those now 11, because Judas has betrayed him and is going to take his own life. But the 11 that will take the gospel into the world, that will put the, 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 the gospel message into the hands of people. Right? Jesus prays specifically that they be protected from the evil one. And Brandon went through all that last week and he moves into a section this morning where he prays for all believers and so let's look at at john 17 20 through 23 this is what jesus prays he said my prayer is not for them alone meaning the disciples he just moved out of that section my prayer is not for them alone i pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one So we're going to catch the back end of this next week. So I'll, I'll kind of work through the back end of the, the next section next week. But this first section today is really cool. Because the truth is is that most of us look at Scripture and we're, we're kind of peering in. Right? We're looking at things that have happened 4,000, 3,000, 2,000 years ago right? that have unfolded throughout time and we're looking into a story trying to place ourselves in there or to glean what God might be teaching me from those interactions or those letters or those kind of chronological movements of God's people or the whole of Scripture. It's us kind of peering in, right? And, and we can take things that God teaches us and we can live into them and they move in our lives and all that. But very rarely, we are part of the story itself. Until you get to this verse, where Jesus says, not only do I pray for them, the disciples, meaning the 11 that you gave me that are sending the message into the world, but I pray also for all those who will believe in the message that they're taking out. You and I are direct recipients of the gospel message of the disciples, so because of their faithful, powerful proclamation of the word, because when the Holy Spirit shows up on Pentecost, and they go out into the world, and the gospel becomes known, and then Paul takes the gospel to the ends of the earth, and Barnabas goes this way, and Silas goes this way, and the gospel begins to take movements, and faithful people get saved, and they tell their neighbors, and they tell their friends, and they tell their towns, because of that movement, the gospel fell upon your ears, At some point in time in your life, I don't know when that was, whether it was at a camp or whether it was in your home or whether it was in church growing up or whether your your grandmother, your grandfather told you stories about Jesus, Your hearing the good news at any point in time is a direct result of the disciples taking that message into the world, which means that this verse is actually directly for you right? Jesus is praying for those who will believe in me through their message. That is you. It's me. I'm a direct recipient of the disciples' faithfulness to not hide under the table after Jesus is crucified and resurrected, but of their boldness to tell people to give their very lives for the truth that they believed about Jesus. I am a direct recipient of that. Therefore, Jesus is praying the prayer that follows for me. We are in this story. You are in this story if you are a follower of Christ. And listen to what Jesus says. because He prays something incredible. Of all the things that you think Jesus would pray over believers, the disciples, the you know, 20th century disciples, all those in between and all those thereafter, this is what he prays, right? I believe in me through their message. This is what I pray, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they be in us. So Jesus' prayer for all the future disciples, for those that were the 11, those that are going to be known, those that are going to hear the gospel message in that first century, those that are going to be the recipients of Paul's communication, those that would go century after century after century after century to the gospel in the seventh grade of the camp falls on my ears, all of those in between, and thereafter, Jesus prays, for something incredible. He doesn't pray that they'd be able to stand strong and fight the power and not kind of lured in temptation and fall into sin. He doesn't, doesn't pray that when persecution comes, they don't give up and run away. He prays for oneness. He prays for unity. This is incredible. So Jesus knows, of course, that these disciples and followers of Christ are to come from every nation Every nation, Jew and Gentile, other ethnic groups, socioeconomic backgrounds, history, stories, brokenness, genders, all those things is gonna be making up this incredible body of believers. And what Jesus prays is not that they stay strong, not that they'd fight temptation, not that they'd be powerful and bold in their proclamation of the gospel, but Jesus prays that they would be one. And he gives an incredible example. That they may be one as we are one. And he's talking to the Father, as you and I, the Father, are one. What Jesus prays for followers of Christ is unity. But he gives an example of that unity, saying the oneness of heart and mission and purpose and presence, which is the relationship of the Father and the Son, which we have explored at length through our study of the Gospel of John. Now, I find this incredible because when we talk about unity in our culture today, we're really talking about inclusiveness. That's not what the New Testament talks about when it talks about unity. Inclusiveness for us means this. It means we are the church and we are all believers. And no matter what you believe, that's okay because we're one for the sake of inclusiveness or happiness or getting along. So we think that unity means that even though we may believe really different things about who God is, that as long as we all just get along and accept each other, then that's unity. That's actually not the unity that Scripture talks about at all. Jesus never at any point in time, neither does Paul or any of the other New Testament authors or writers, write about unity as inclusiveness for the sake of happiness or togetherness or getting along, ever. Unity in Scripture, as we just see here, is the example of the oneness of the Father and the Son. The Father and the Son were united in singular essence and purpose and mission and drive and who they were and what they were doing. That's the example of unity. The example of unity is not a 1980s Coke commercial where we all hold hands stretching around the globe, singing a song, and we're just going to all tolerate each other. Right? The reality is, is that for the church, there has to be a singular purpose of message, A singular purpose of heartbeat, a singular purpose of passion as the Father has with the Son. And Jesus says, so they may have with us. So of all the things that Jesus could have prayed for the church, he prays for unity. And as I look at the church across our 21st century, if there's one thing the church is marked by, it's probably disunity. I mean, think about all the hundreds upon hundreds of denominations we have that have split off every splinter over whether you can dance or sing or wear pants or not pants. Well, please wear pants, right? <laughs> you go to a church that doesn't wear pants. That's a big difference. <laughs> I, almost, I almost told, uh, uh, I'm debating whether I should tell the story. Um, so when I was in seminary, it has nothing to do with anything. It just popped into my mind, danger of what I do. I was in seminary, and I was taking a world religions class, and each, each week we had a leader of a world religion come in and teach us about their religion. So we had, you know, Muslims, or we had, you know, a Hindu, you know, all these kind of people, and it was great, it was fascinating, we got to dialogue with them, but we had the head of the Wiccan church come in, in Austin, Texas, which, uh, you know, witchcraft, Wiccan, good witches, whatever, and, and uh, all evil and satanic, but nonetheless, they came in and they kind of spoke to us. And he was telling us about all the things that they did and practiced. And he he <laughs> nothing to do with he, uh, he literally said, "Well, what we do is we go out in the woods and we 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 carve circles in the sky, and we do these rituals and we do it all sky clad." And uh, some guy in the back, because none of us knew, goes, "Excuse me, sir, Wiccan, sir, um, what is sky clad?" He goes, "Clothed only in the sky." And we we're like, "Oh, naked! I get it." Super weird, man, super weird. So if you go to that church, you're, in the, you're heading down the wrong path, man. That one leads down, down. <laughs> of all things, Jesus could pray for the church. He prays for unity. Praise prays for unity. And not for the sake of just togetherness, but for gospel-centered unity, that we are united by, by this banner of the gospel, by Jesus himself. And I find that absolutely incredible. But here's the reason why, right? So he prays for unity, but the the, the question really is, why does Jesus pray for unity for the church? So So that we can be happy, so that we don't fight, so we don't have divisions or denominations, or we don't get along? No, he's got a singular reason why. And this is why he says, he goes, I pray that they, all of them may be one father, as you and I are one, right? And I am in you, may they also be in us, here it is, so that, The world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus prays for unity so that the world may know that he is the son of God. So Jesus does not pray for unity so that the world may look around and say, Look, God created everyone so that we could all just get along. Jesus prays for unity because the church is the example of God's incredible love for humanity and that he says and believes that the church is unified, the world will know that Jesus is real. That through the unity of the church, through this diversity of people, these crazy backgrounds that we all bring, when we come together united in singular purpose and focus and mission and heartbeat and love and grace, the world will know that Jesus is real. It's the exact same thing that he says to the disciples on that night that he washes their feet. The same night we're sitting in, John 13, you remember? He washes their feet, he does all this, he does this incredible stuff for them, and he looks at them, he says, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. By how you, the eleven, love each other. Jesus' prayer for unity is so that he would be known Jesus' prayer for unity was not so that people that were on the outside of society or culture on the fringes would have a place to go and people would be nice to them. Jesus' prayer for unity was so that the world in disharmony and brokenness and division and strife and anger and hatred and and yelling and screaming and wars would look at this group of people that were actually united for something incredible and they would say, Jesus has got to be real. Because look at how those people love each other. Look at how they're united. Look at how they're connected. Look at how these people from every walk of life and every difference have a heartbeat for the lost, love and care for each other, sell their possessions and give to the poor, how they sacrifice, how they give their money, how they care, how they show up in my need and in my aid. Something is driving them because that doesn't happen on its own. When left up to our human drive and our human inclination, protect yourself at all costs. Fight for yourself. Fight for number one. Do whatever you've got to take to protect you and yours, which is the opposite of the gospel at every point and turn. The gospel is death to self. Yes to Jesus. Jesus prays for unity so that the world may know Jesus. He just says it. He goes, I pray for them and their unity that the world may know, which means the greatest evangelistic tool that the church has, the big C church and this little hot mess of a thing that we do, right? The greatest evangelistic tool we have is our unity of mission and heart. Right? Not that we all vote the same way, think the same way, order the same food, come from the same backgrounds, wear the same clothes, none of that, but unity of heart and mission. that We want to make Jesus known to the world. And we love each other and we love people and we're driven by the things that drove Jesus that the world may know the coming kingdom of God that they may feel rescue and redeemed from the savior of the world that the number one goal in the mission of the church is the proclamation of the gospel for the salvation of humankind that should be what drives us not to caretake for ourselves or make sure that everybody's got their needs covered but we would want to love like Jesus loved so that the world may know him that's Jesus' prayer for the church, right? He prays for unity so that the world may know Jesus. And then he has this incredible line, which is kind of the why behind all of it. So unity, the why behind that, of course, is so the world may know. But then he has, and here's the bigger reason why. Listen to how he kind of finishes this, and then we'll dive into next week's next week. He says this. He says, I in them and you and me, kind of reiterating what he said earlier. May they be brought to complete unity. This is verse 23 to let the world know that you sent me. So he reiterates the same thing he just said. He goes, I and you. Here's the example. Father, I am in you. We are one, right? I in you. And, and, and you and you and me. This, this relationship that we have and unity of heart and mission and purpose and essence, right? May they be brought to complete unity too, just like that. I mean, that kind of complete unity, that's the example the church has, not like just tolerating each other. The relationship of the Father and the Son was not about toleration. It was about unity of heart, mind, and purpose. Like that's who we are as the church. We're not here to tolerate each other. We're here to be unified like the Father is to the Son. Complete unity, so that the world may know that you sent me. And listen to this and have loved them even as you have loved me. The why behind all of this is because God loves his creation that they know that you sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. Look, here's the incredible thing in that statement. And a lot of us know this, right? We kind of take it for granted, but we know it. God loves you and he came for you. He loves you even as he loves the Son. This is the message that Jesus wants the church to take into the world, followers of Christ to take into the world, that they may be one as you and I, Father, are one, that their hearts may be knit together in us. And you know what it will tell the world? That, that unity will tell the world that you love them as much as you love me. It means the unity of the church, right? The driving mission and the heartbeat of the church, the way that we are connected in grace and love and the way that we care for and love, not only each other but the world around us, will tell the world that God loves them the same way that he loves his son which is so hard to swallow, right? I mean, the reality is God loves you this much. Whatever your past story is, whatever brokenness, whatever you did last night or two years ago or 10 years ago, whatever kind of mediocre life you're living in or passionless drive or anger or frustration or whatever you hide walking in these doors, whatever things you're feeling about, hey, I don't know if this is real or that is real, I don't even know who God is, all of those things, God loves you in the middle of all of that as much as he loves his son, which is unfathomable to me. Because I am a colossal disappointment, I'm a colossal mess, I'm a failure with with failures that rise over even my own existence, They just bubble over and through. Yet God, this creator of the universe that breathed life into my lungs, loved me enough to send his son for me, came for me, prays for me, that my unity with other believers may be the tool that shows them that God loves them too. What that means is that just walking around telling people that God loves them is amazing and wonderful, but the real testimony becomes how believers love each other because it tells the world that something is radically different. Because in a world that is shaken by disasters and turmoils and wars and angers and hatreds and all these kind of things and discourses, social media is fueled by arguments and vitriol and hatred, fueled by it. 2,000 years ago, Jesus' singular prayer for the church was unity of heart like the Father and Son so the world may know him. Which brings a ton of questions to my mind. Like, what am I doing to unify believers, me, other Christians, this church, other churches? Like, am I investing in the unity of the community of God, which is the greatest evangelistic tool that we have? to be of unity of heart, mind, and purpose, which is I want the world to know Jesus. The entire reason our church exists is so that the world may know Jesus. That's it. If you're coming here for any other reason, that's great, but the number one thing that we're about is we want the world to know Jesus. And that world begins in these rows, outside those doors, and to the very ends of the earth. And the greatest way we'll do that is how we love each other and how we love our neighbors, and how we love our friends, and how we love our coworkers, and how we love people that are outside of these walls and doors, that we exist to be out there. Unity. Unity. Not for the sake of cultural happiness, but for the sake of letting the world know that Jesus is, in fact, who he said he was. It's an incredible thing. We celebrate communion. We do it once the first Sunday of every month. But this table really is the picture of that, right? Because this table knows no boundaries. The only boundary the table knows is those who profess faith in Christ. It knows no denominational lines. It knows no historical lines. It knows no socioeconomic or any of those lines. The table is for all who profess faith in Christ. It was the gift that Jesus gave the church. And he said that every time you do this, you're gonna do it and you're gonna remember me. You're gonna proclaim and remember what I have given you. And not as a token of a church ritual or habit that we do on a Sunday to make sure that we fulfill our sort of religious duties, but as a tool that Jesus gave the church to say that every moment that we do this is a reminder that this is the thing that brings every single one of us together. It's the reason that we actually do communion the way that we do. We do communion by means of intinction. And the reason for that is because we want to take one loaf of bread and we want you to have a singular piece of that, which we all share. We want you to take the movement to come up and be served, saying, Look, I'm a part of a community. I'm not waiting necessarily for someone to bring it to me, but I'm coming before the Lord saying, God, I want to be united with this group of people in this oneness of mission and heart and goal and grace, which is what you gave us. That very night, actually, the, the night that we are standing in historically. The very night that Jesus would be betrayed, which is going to happen in a matter of moments. The very night that all those that he loved and cared for would just run and run and run. The very night that he would be handed over and betrayed and put on a sham of a trial in those wee hours in the morning. Jesus got with his disciples on that night. And he gave thanks and he took a loaf of bread and he said, This bread is my body and it's broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, after he took the bread, he took the cup and he said, This cup is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. This is the new covenant that is poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And as long as you take of this bread and this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. This table is not a denominational table. It's open to whoever professes faith in Jesus Christ. It's open to anyone who says, Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior, and is served as a common meal in which we are all a part of because of the unifying nature of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is a life-changing reminder of exactly what Jesus did to save you, to save me. We don't take it lightly. It's not a habitual movement in the church. It's actually a reflection of my being saved by the God who loves me, who loved me enough to come for me. Even in the midst of all of my failures, Jesus gave his life that I might know him. And he prayed that that grace would unify me to every other believer across space and time. This morning we take communion by means of intinction, which just means that as you come down, you take a piece of the bread, and you dip it in the cup and eat it, and then return to your seat and continue in worship with us as Don our worship band lead us in this time of worship and reflection. Let me invite our servers to come forward.